0: Rick Elias is a plane crash survivor, TED Talk speaker, and CEO of Red Ventures, a multi-billion dollar company. On this show, you'll hear conversations Rick feels lucky to have had with leaders, athletes, and innovators. Plus, three things you can learn from each. It's two people, 20 minutes, and three things with Rick Elias. On this bonus episode of Three Things, Rick talks with NBA Deputy Commissioner Mark Tatum during All-Star Weekend in Charlotte. They'll talk about how sports betting will change the game, what the NBA is doing right, and what the NFL is doing wrong. And Steph Curry finally coming home to play in Charlotte. This is Three Things with Rick Elias.
1: As you all know, Mark has been in the NBA for 20 years. He's the deputy commissioner. He's also the COO, uh, and we're going to go all over the place. So if you love hoops, you're in for a treat. (laughs) So, Mark, you you got to the NBA 1999.
2: So how has the league
1: evolved in 20 years?
2: So much has changed, including how the game is played, right? Clearly, even in the last couple of years, Mm. the advent of the three, where Brook Lopez, a seven-footer, who up until you know, a year ago never took a three-point shot in his life, is now one of the leading people of attempts of three-point shots. So from big men taking three-point shots to the speed of the game, largely in due part to a lot of the rules changes that we implemented to speed up the game, I think that's one big part of it. I think the second big part is the influence of the international player back 20 years ago, there were a handful of international players, the Hakeem Olajuwans, for example, who had an impact. But you look at the, the league today, there's over 100 players who were born outside the United States, the, the presumed rookie of the year, is Luka Doncic, who is having an incredible season. He was the EuroLeague MVP last year playing for Real Madrid and the immediate impact he's having on the league. Players like Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's in the discussion, the MVP race, he was the leading vote getter in the East, the leading vote getter, think about that. So, and there's just a hope The Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, the list goes on and on for the amount of international talent that's having an impact in our league. So I think the globalization of the game is light years ahead of where it was. And then the last thing I would say that's really impacted our business and has changed is the advent of technology. There was no iPhone. There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was, it was really hard to consume NBA content and sports content back in 1999. And today, everyone around the world, no matter where you are, has access to NBA games, NBA content right in your pocket. So I think those are some of the, the major changes yeah. Yeah. that I've seen in a short amount of time. I,
1: I think that what you guys have done that has been so incredible is kept the integrity of the game, innovated, took risks, but you freed the game.
2: Yes, I agree with that. And I think we have, we, to, you, you said exactly right, which is maintaining the integrity of the game Right? We're not talking about four-point shots or, any, or, or schmucking it up in that way, but we do a lot of listening to who our fans are, to, to what our fans are saying about the game. We do a lot of uh, talking to our actual players and our general managers and our coaches because we have an active competition committee that constantly evalu- evaluates the game, and we actually use a lot of data. So I'll, I'll give you an example of how we're using data to really... Uh, impact some of the changes that we make on the court now. We know where, where people tune out of games is where there's a stop in, in, in action and in a stoppage of play, whether there's a free throw, a foul. And so what we've tried to do is we've tried to make sure that the flow of the game, we've eliminated a timeout, and so that eliminates a stoppage in play. We, we are trying to speed up the game by the shot clock on now on an offensive rebound. It used to reset to 24, you know, now it's down to 14. And so that gives you more possessions, more action. But we're using data when we make these decisions, and we're not afraid to take that feedback from the fans in terms of what makes for an entertaining product. Because we understand we're in the business of providing a product that is entertaining, and I think we've been able to evolve in that way.
1: One more thing, and I want you to talk about it. Um, and You've got to give credit to the league and the owners in some ways. If you look at the NFL, the owners and the players have grown increasingly apart. And In the NBA, the league has done a very good job at standing behind the players, but letting it be a player-led league. Those are not easy decisions. What's the true north there?
2: Yeah, look, I, I think our league has a long history having players who have spoken out on issues that have been important to them and that goes back to bill russell that goes back to kareem abdul jabbar that goes back to oscar robertson right those were legends in our game who used the platform that they had in sports to take a stand to deliver a message to stand up for principles of equality and and diversity and inclusion So that's always been a a core part of our league. And our league has been and continues to be heavily African-American. And so what we have to understand is that our players have this platform. Mm. And especially in the advent of social media, Mm. um, we encourage them to get educated on issues that are important to them and to use their voice to be able to influence and make change. Because they look back at the lineage of their predecessors in the league and that's what they did they had so so we almost view it as a responsibility of the organization and our players view it as a responsibility to use that platform for good and to try to make a difference and to take a stand
1: if you had to change one decision what would be that decision you
2: know we've had to make some really really tough decisions I mean obviously the the decision to pull the all-star game from charlotte yeah exactly as a result of HB2 we felt and still feel that that was the right decision.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, and, and again, the decision-making process, and, and I know you all have a wonderful culture here too, but we, have, we had a diversity of thoughts, a diversity of opinions, mm. um, and we sat around the table. And we generally do on these big decisions, and we try to factor in a lot of different things. But what, was, what, what we always go back to is, what's the core values of our league? Right. And what do we stand for? What are the principles of our league? And, you know, when we awarded the All-Star Game to Charlotte, HB2 didn't exist. Right. When HB2, you know, got passed and, and became a law, that's when we made that decision. Uh, you know, I would not have done anything differently on that. I wouldn't have done anything differently on Donald Sterling's situation, obviously. I, I think generally we've made pretty good decisions and... And, again, I think it's a result of a process that we undergo every single time Mm. in making decisions that are grounded in our principles and our values. Super teams, good or bad for the league? It's a tricky one. Um, You know, there have always been super teams in our league. You know, in the last 10 years, and and this might surprise some people, the last 10 years, six teams have won NBA championships in the last 10. You know, Golden State's won three. um, Cleveland won. Uh, Miami won a couple, Uh, the Lakers, the Dallas Mavericks won, San Antonio. The previous 62 years, three teams won 60% of the championships, the (laughs) Lakers, the Celtics, and the Bulls. So there have always been these super teams, and I would say that as a league, Hmm. we certainly, our objective is to make sure that the talent is spread out throughout the league, so that Hmm. everybody has the opportunity to win. You know, we had a, a very unique situation that allowed Kevin Durant to go to yeah. the Golden State Warriors where in that one year, Remember that TV cap, contract yeah, that you yeah. talked about, we, because of the way our system works, when the, and the players get 50%, in that year when we did the new TV deal, there was a huge influx of incremental revenue. So that year, all the teams had more money to spend. So every team, in essence, right. could have afforded to have a Steph Curry, a Kevin Durant, and a Klay Thompson. We had proposed to the Players Association that rather than take the one <clears throat> huge lump sum, that they would still get the money, but that we would smooth it out over time so there would be a, a more gradual increase in the salary cap. They rejected that. So the result was that huge influx of money. Otherwise, right. our system would have not allowed for that to happen. I think the
1: issue the league has, and it's, I don't think it's a, what the NFL has, which is a hard cap, Right. I think the cap in the NBA is a complete sham, right? And <laughs> yeah. it's like, there are so many exceptions what you really that feel, might as right? well don't have a rule, right? Because, you know, you have all this team signing people on the Larry Bird rights, and you almost need
2: a doctorate degree to have it, right? But <laughs> You do, you do. Yeah, look, I, I think... Um, I'm not bitter. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you really feel. Um, no, look, I, you know, the, the system, like I said, uh, there, there isn't a hard cap, so... Yeah. Teams who are willing to spend hundreds of millions of dollars uh, can go into the tax. And and, and what we've done is we've tried to create a system that discourages that kind of behavior, but some teams are going to go into that because, again, their desire to win. I think it's less, though, of a small market versus big market team because Carmelo Anthony went to New York, and because they didn't win, okay, there was not a lot of upside for him. Russell Westbrook is the biggest star out there. Everyone knows where Oklahoma City is now because of Russell, because because it's so accessible, the game's so accessible. Yeah. It, as long as you're winning, I mean, Cleveland, people think, Cleveland, no, it must be a big market. It wasn't a big market, but LeBron, it's one of the smaller markets in the US, but LeBron put it on the map, and, and now, through social media yeah. and the exposure these guys get, every game is broadcast around the world in 215 countries. So yeah, so, you know, so I think we've actually taken away from that big market, small market, what it comes down to is, is your franchise managed properly? Do you have the right winning culture that's right. there? You know, it's
1: kind of, if you think about it, LeBron went back to Cleveland, got him a championship, and then went, got his TV platform in LA. Why can't Steph come here, get us a championship, <laughs> and
2: go and do his own thing?
0: Yeah. I think that would be great.
2: <laughs> I will tell you, Steph, You know, I saw him a week and a half ago. Yeah. He's very much looking forward to being back here in, back in, in North yeah. Carolina. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, so there's uh,
1: 30 teams in the league. Why not 32, 34, 40?
2: What stops that? We've obviously expanded in the past. I'd say right now we have no plans to expand. We feel really good with the 30-team league from a competition standpoint, from a talent standpoint. So is it quality
1: Uh, of basketball that drives it?
2: That's one of the factors, but but it's also... It has to be additive, right? Because, again, the way our system works is, in essence, that $9 billion, half of it goes to players, and then the rest, in essence, gets split up amongst the other owners. And so if the pie by adding another team or two doesn't grow significantly, then in essence, the other 30 partners are just sharing, exactly, they're just sharing less money amongst the new partners. So, um, so one of the things that we're thinking about, and, and we've been public about this, again, expansion's not on the, on the roadmap today, but if we were to expand to a market like a Mexico um in Mexico City, where we've been playing more regular season games recently, that would open up a whole new market for us. Mm. Latin America. Mexico City, the largest city in North America, a whole new country for a team to root for. I mean, we see it now when we expanded to Canada. Yeah. The Toronto Raptors, the, the influx of Canadian players now, they're right around that twenty, twenty one year old range, which is really- when the yeah. Raptors, yeah. and the Grizzlies went into Canada. Yeah. And so they now, a the whole country, a generation of, of young folks who grew up with the team in their country now have become NBA fans and have become players. We think that that same thing can happen in a place like Mexico City. So that's why Mexico City's on our radar screen. Obviously places like Seattle, I think is the best city in the US without an NBA franchise. Vegas has a beautiful brand new arena. There's there's lots of markets out there that would love to have a franchise, but... Let's talk about Vegas
1: for a second, yes. because the, the risk all along is the gambling, right? In games, getting the potential of, you know, point shaving and all that. I believe the experiment the NHL, which is now the, the first major league to go there, has been very, very positive.
2: Is that correct? Absolutely. The Golden Knights, an incredible success story on the ice, 20. as well as from a business standpoint. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's interesting. So Yeah, and, and the whole landscape, is, as you may know, the whole landscape in sports betting has changed yeah. very, very rapidly in the last year and a half, two years. So let's talk about that. What, yeah.
1: Three years from now, what does sports betting look like for the NBA, and what's the role of the league and the risk to the
2: league? The risk to the league is pretty clear, and that is the integrity of the game. Ironically, that is the reason that we've been advocating for legalization of sports betting. Because what people don't understand, or people didn't understand, is that it's happening, and it's been happening for years. Billions, hundreds of billions of dollars have been bet on sports while it was illegal. Hundreds of billions of dollars. It was just all happening Hmm. underground. And we had no visibility to it. No one had any visibility to it. So there was no real way to even track the activity that was going on. So about five years ago, when Adam Adam actually wrote an op-ed piece in the New York Times supporting the legalization of sports betting, and part of that was informed by a lot of conversations that we had had with the English Premier League Mm -hmm. and with other soccer clubs in Europe and around the world where sports betting was actually legal. And what we realized is that we're just burying our heads in the sand (laughs) thinking that people aren't betting on NBA games, that they're not betting on NFL games, they're betting on everything. The NCAA, March Madness, one of the biggest betting events in, in sports. And so we said, wouldn't it be better if it was legalized, if we got them that information and the data so that we could determine if there were anomalies that were happening, because the market would actually That's true. ferret those things out. Let's talk about analytics.
1: Analytics has changed the game, not, just uh, the way the game is getting coached, but how players prepare. It has a lot to do with how you guys have moved the schedule around for travel. Tell us a little bit of the things that may surprise us on how analytics has uh, changed decision making.
2: Yeah, again, we, we use data in everything that we do to make these kinds of decisions. And so, you know, things like uh, the four and fives, we, we actually measure the number of miles that our teams travel in a given year. And it's incredible amount uh, of miles that they travel. And um, what we realized as a result of you know, we had an issue a couple of years ago where players were resting a lot and resting during nationally televised games. And when we dug into the data and we we started asking why they were resting, you know, the the chances of injury, we we know exactly, you know, when players are more likely to get injured and it is on those four and fives and the second end of a back-to-back. So teams were oftentimes out ahead of that and they were making the decisions to rest their players. So we finally dug into that and we then worked through data, worked with our teams to figure out a a more efficient schedule where we actually were able to eliminate four games in five nights um, for the first time, you know, in, in however many years. And we've reduced the number of back to backs to an all time low. And what's happening is now our players aren't resting as much because they're getting the appropriate rest. Because has it impacted the injuries? Have you guys been able to track it? It has, actually, that you know, severe injuries yeah, has now. gone down and the kinds of injuries that were, that were happening and taking place, they have gone down as a result of it. Let's do some rapid fire questions. Favorite all-star city? LA. LA is a great market, the weather's great, um, you know, the stars come out, it, it, it's a great market. All right,
1: what's a team that is contending in five years at a really high level that is not there right now?
2: The New York Knicks? <laughs> it's called tanking, yes. <laughs> I, I grew up in New York. You know, what, lots of New York Knicks fans are going to be, uh, are gonna be uh, hopeful of that. Yeah, we're going we're to promote this
1: podcast to all Knicks fans on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, should high school players be allowed to come straight to the NBA? The short answer is yes.
2: Yeah. You know, obviously, we've evolved on this. We actually, several years ago, wanted high school players to have more years in college. Right? Two years. Yeah. Uh, the Players Association pushed back and that's how we end up with one year. For our teams, the rationale of why they stay longer is that you're making significant investments, in some cases hundreds of millions of dollar investments Mm -hmm. in the future of your franchise by picking these players. And so therefore, the longer you can put eyes on them, the longer you can see how they compete in these environments, the better decision that you should be able to make. But what's happening in this one-and-done era is that kids now who are going to college right. aren't necessarily in that one year because they know they're only going to be there for, in essence, a semester. Right, that they're done um, by March. Exactly. And, and, and academically, they're even done before that. They just have to get through that first semester academically, um, and then once they get to the tournament, you know, they don't have to finish up that first year. So, so and, and because coaches know that, the coaches' incentives in college are to win and to win now. Yeah. Because they know that those guys aren't going to be there next year. So they're not necessarily developing the players in the way that we had hoped they would. Right. And so our thinking is, what if we got those players at an early age? We know how to develop, how to train, how to get kids, um, young adults, young men and women, um, the be- how to get, get them better. How mm. to- nutrition, fitness, um, avoiding injury, right? Why not put them in our system earlier? Uh, and whether that's with an NBA franchise, a G League franchise, let's, let's, we think we can do a better job, quite frankly, than what's happening in college sports today. And, and, and so we've evolved on that. Do college players, players get paid? My opinion is no. Uh, no. My opinion is if you want to go to college and you're able to get a scholarship and you're truly there for an education, that's why you're there. If you wanna come play professional basketball, um, you can do that. You can do that at 18 years old. You can come to the G League, you can go play internationally. So to me, um, it is, and again, this is from somebody yeah. who played uh, yeah, college yeah. sports, not, not at the level that, that those guys did, but it's the same thing in baseball too. If, you're, if, I, if I had been good enough to get drafted out of high school, I could have made that decision that I'm either gonna go get paid to play baseball in That's the fair. minor leagues, or I'm gonna to go to college and get an education and get my education paid for. But to me, you know, yeah. they they seem a little bit a little bit different.
1: LeBron or MJ?
2: Well, MJ's my boss, so I gotta <laughs> he he owns the Charlotte team, so I, I gotta say MJ. This weekend MJ? <laughs> I gotta say MJ. Um, look, I, I think one of the things that's so great about our league right now is that. Um, and, and, and I really believe this. Like, it's a treat to watch these players oh, play. These, these players today, you're watching gen- once in a lifetime, once in a generation players. I mean, Russell Westbrook is doing things that no one else has done before in the game. Um, yeah, other he steals than Will- rebounds from his teammates. <laughs> <laughs> James Harden, <laughs> you know, insane. doing things that, that no one in the history of the game. LeBron James. Like, these these guys are once in a lifetime players, and they're all playing in the league at the same time. Steph Curry, Kevin Durant, Kemba Walker. I mean, the, 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 the- There you go.
1: Thank you, Mark. That was an amazing conversation today and a special one for me given the topic. Here are the three things I learned. Number one, by taking a more global view on talent, we can not only improve the game, but also include more people in the conversation. Number two, there's no escaping using data to make better decisions, no matter what industry or sport you're in. Number three, when we come together on our platforms, in this case, owners and players, the impact
0: that they can have in society is that much greater. If you're enjoying the Three Things Podcast, let us know. Be sure to rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with Rick directly on Twitter at Rick Elias. And be sure to check out additional content, videos, and more at our blog ThreeThings.RedVentures.com Next time on Three Things, Hindu priest and mindfulness expert, Don DePani. Thanks for listening.